Welcome back to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. And I'm excited and honored today to welcome my guest, Zachary Cutts of the First Baptist Church of Baghdad. Now, it's not often that we get someone all the way from Iraq to come and visit with us. Not quite. Baghdad, Florida. See, before I met you, I didn't even know there was a Baghdad, Florida. Most people don't know about it. Can you tell us about where it's at? We are near Pensacola, is the best way to explain it. That's the closest major city to us would be Pensacola. Okay, and you mentioned Milton earlier. Is yes, it? yeah, we live in Milton. Baghdad's, Baghdad's pretty much Milton. Gotcha, gotcha. So. What is your position at your current church? I am the ministry operations manager. Um, they like to call me mom, but I will not answer <laughs> to that, but that is the acronym. It's the ministry operations manager. I help the elders. That is my position. I am there as their right-hand man. Now, are you on staff as that? Yes, yeah, okay. that is my staff position. Oh, good. Okay, so you're full-time ministry? Not full-time. It okay. is part-time. We are pretty much all part-time. Um, we all are bivocational, and so you know, full-time ministry, but bivocational bi- 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 is the best way to look at it because well, all ministry is full-time. Um, but yeah, I have a, uh, I have a full-time position as a groundskeeper as an, at another church. So I oh, get to, okay. I get to cut grass during the week and do ministry on the weekends and. All kinds of fun stuff. And your husband and, and a father. Yes. Yeah. One, yeah. one thing, uh, she's not on camera right now, but I'll wave at her. Your lovely wife yes, is wife with us. my wife is here and my daughter. Yeah. Over over in the uh, in the dark corner there of the of the <laughs> studio. And we're, we're, we're proud to have you guys with us, with us today. You came on the program today. We had a conversation about mm-hmm. your church having gone through a time of reformation. Yes. And, and still going through a time of reformation. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. And, and, and that's what we want to talk about today. We're we're going to talk about God reforming churches. And what's great about today's program is we're we're doing this before our church is having our conference. We're having a Bible conference on in March on the subject of revival. But we're not talking about those one-week revivals that churches often have, which is just somebody comes in and preaches a message and some people get saved and they call that revival. But what we're going to be talking about is God's work in people's heart over time and how real revival often shows itself not in a single moment, but over a period of time, over a, sometimes over multiple lifetimes, Definitely. and we see that in a church. So we're going to be talking about that some when we get to that portion. But as you know, uh, you've seen the show. I have. Yeah, and you're you you I, I'm you're you're a listener, a watcher, and I'm, and I want to say thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but you know that on this show we do other things. But I will say this: if you're interested in just hearing about Zach's story, about the story of their church and the Reformation, there's going to be a timestamp in the description below that you can jump to and you can uh, go right to that if you want to get past the preliminaries. But we we like you to stay for the preliminaries because we like to have a good time on conversations with the Calvinists. So we're going to now move to our next segment, which is called Craziest Things This Week. Craziest Things This Week is when I allow my guest to be surprised by something that I thought was crazy. I don't know if you've seen it. Now, this particular video, again, was taken from uh, an online source. I have no idea where this church is. I have no idea who these people are. Mm-hmm. And this is in no way intended to to, uh, to to demean them in any way or anything like that. This is just something that I think is uh, a little crazy. When you see it, I think you will agree. And yeah. I just want your initial response. If, okay. you, if you were in a church, this happened. 
and the guy is apparently preaching on Ephesians 6. Very large sword. Yes, that was a uh, that was quite the sword. So, so have you seen that video? Yes, I have. Okay, what was your thoughts when you saw it? Uh, we actually just finished a series in Ephesians, and we did the exact same thing. So. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually. Uh, what's funny is I saw it because of you. I saw you post it on, oh, on well, Twitter, and I, so I was like, I'm going to pretend like I didn't see this. I'm not going to comment on it because I'm like, he's going to show it to me, and it's going to be hilarious. That's right. So I didn't. That's right. I didn't comment on it when you posted it on Twitter. But I will say the thing that I noticed was the bell. That's the part I liked the best. Just the ringing of the bell was pretty hilarious. Nice. That's a good catch. I didn't think about I mean, that. I don't know yeah. what part the the bell is in the armor of God, but I was I was all for the ringing of the bell. What got my attention most about that video is I I am as most people know I do karate. I've done karate for almost thirty years now, and I have I have a small collection of swords that I have gotten okay. over the years. I'm a uh, uh, I, I like weaponry, so I have my sword collection my knife collection and things like that was that a good technique he was using not at all oh. but <laughs> that's a good question actually uh no um there was a point at which he almost whacked somebody's head off i don't know if if anybody goes back and watches that there's a point where he he there's somebody walking by yeah, and, he, and he draws the, the camera, sword back yeah. and i was like that sword has to weigh several pounds and if it were to just whack somebody i mean it, it would it could take off a limb just yeah. you know i don't think it's fake no, you know. no, it looked real. And um, this is this is where uh, the the silliness yes. of of hyper ultra charismaticism can take us. Where instead of just preaching the word and having God change hearts, we end up with uh, with well, what, what can we do? The cra- what can what's the craziest thing we can do? Yeah. Well, let's swing a sword and maybe whack somebody in the head. Then we'll prove whether or not we're really healers. Yeah, there's a certain limit that I'm okay with when it comes to illustrations, dancing around with a sword and ringing a bell and running around like crazy. That definitely crosses that limit. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we come now to the part of the program where we talk about our giveaway. And we try to give away stuff periodically on the program. And many of you have been donating things to the program for us to give away. And I want to give an immediate thank you for everyone who's made a donation. And this week, we're going to be giving away D.A. Carson's The God Who Was There, uh, not only the book, but also the leader guide. And I'm going to employ uh, Zachary's wife uh, to help me. I have all of the names that were given to us uh, that went on to our YouTube page and left their favorite Southern phrase. So I'm going to ask Zachary's wife if she'll come over. She won't be on screen, unfortunately, but she's going to just reach over and pull a sheet. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to hand this sheet to Zachary. Don't look at it yet. Okay. And I'm going to ask you to pick a number one to four. Three. All right, so the number that he's picking is the number three, so the winner is the third one down on that sheet. You're going to pick it up, tell us the name of the person, and you're going to tell us what their favorite Southern phrase is. 
Number three is Travis Van Meter. Oh, that's a pastor, Pastor Travis. I know him okay, personally. Good, awesome. good deal. My favorite Southern phrase is "the devil is beating his wife," referring, <laughs> of course, to the phenomena of the sun shining while it's raining. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've I've heard it, but uh, okay. I've never used that one. Uh, I've never, me either, but I'm familiar with it. Travis, uh, thank you for being a listener and viewer of the program. Thanks for being my friend as well. Like I said, he's a, a pastor down in the Ocala area. We met last year at a church camp, and he's a wonderful man of God. And uh, uh, I want to say thank you for watching the program, and you will be receiving a copy of The God Who Was There and the God was their leader God, which is nice. It's going to a pastor. You may be able to use that uh, in some way for your church. So thank you, Zachary. And thank you, uh, Mrs. Cuts, for helping Emily, us. Emily is Miss, her name. I yes. haven't said her name yet. Emily and Hadassah is my daughter. Aww. Emily is my wife. Hadassah is my daughter. Awesome. Well, thank you, Emily and Hadassah, for helping us with our giveaway this week. All right, Zach. Well, now we're going to move on to our game. And our game is called... National Treasure. Now, National Treasure is not about the movie National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. National Treasure is a game that is designed by me to take a pop culture icon, a person from popular culture, someone who we might say is a national treasure. Mm. I'm going to name a person from popular culture, and you have to tell me why I might think that person is a national treasure. Now, we don't know each other super well, so this is going to maybe be a little bit more difficult, because you're not trying to tell me why you think this person is. You're telling me why I would pick this person. What makes this person a cultural phenomenon? Mm -hmm. And why this... What what, what stamp have they left on the uh, popular culture scene? And so, again, and the this all started for those who don't know. I'm, I, this 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 is a game in my house mm-hmm. because my children. I one time mentioned Tom Selleck, and my kids didn't know who Tom Selleck was. Now, if you, I don't know if you guys, did. I do. I okay, do. all right, because Tom Selleck, it hurt my heart that they didn't know who Magnum PI was, <laughs> and I said, "This man is a national treasure," and you don't know. Yeah. And my kids were, oh, "No, you need to know." And so, you know, I introduced them to Magnum PI. All right, so we're going to now, uh, we're going to now do our national treasure game, and I'm, I'm going to give you a name. That is relevant more recently uh, uh, because you're not an 80s kid. See, my 80s, you go to my Twitter page, it says lover of all things 80s, mm-hmm. right? Especially 80s movies. That's that's what I do uh, is, is I know 80s stuff. But I'm going to give you something more recent, and I want you to tell me why you think this person would be relevant. And remember, you're, you're at relevant to me. To you. Relevant yes. to me. Why this person would be relevant to me. All right. The name is... George Clooney. George Clooney. Relevant to you? George Clooney. Think hard. Think about me, if you know me. And maybe you don't know me as well, but... Man, I can only think of why he's relevant to me, so I'm just going to guess that, because it's going to be a wide-open guess. I love Ocean's Eleven. Oh, man. (laughs) Ocean's Eleven is good. (laughs) Ocean Eleven is good. But that's one of my favorites, so... And and that'd be where I would go. Would be Ocean's Eleven, but yeah, it, it was good. It was good. It was good. Uh, I would have said the worst Batman. That was why. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, okay. I should have thought comic book Batman. Superhero. That's me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. George right. Clooney. Um, even though, um, I, I I'm one of those guys who would watch a terrible superhero movie anytime. Mm-hmm. So I I still watch 
the George Clooney Batman with my kids because it's clean and it's fun yep. and it's based yep. on the same camp as the old Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. So uh, so George Clooney gets a pass, even though he himself has said he did the character wrong. <laughs> Uh, I still enjoy it. I still think it's a lot of fun. All right. So thank you for playing my game, National Treasure. And uh, that, again, is uh, patent pending. Well, now we come to the part of the program that is most important, and that's where we talk about the story of Reformation within Baghdad Church. Now, you uh, you, you, and I have talked a little bit about this off air, mm-hmm. and we've shared a little bit online, but I, I really want to begin by sort of asking you a series of, of questions and just let you have the time to expand and tell the story, because I love to hear stories of churches that are moving in a good direction. Uh, we know so many churches are going in bad directions, mm-hmm. so many churches are going towards things like Bethel and 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 all of these other directions of, of this sort of hyper charismania stuff. Definitely. But you guys are going the other direction. Yes. You guys are going in a reform direction. Yes. Which again is close to my heart because our church went through a time of reformation and it's still I mean I would say we're still reforming, right? Semper yes. Reformanda, always, always reforming. reforming. Yes. So so tell me um, your church's F- FBC. So yes. First Baptist Church. Yes, First Baptist Church. Give us a little bit of a history of the church. Um, I'm not exactly an expert on the history. I know it's been there for over 100 years. It's been there oh, for wow. a long time, been through many different pastors. Um, I will say it's gone through its series of very strong anti-Calvinist leanings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has recently, over the last five years, um, shifted back in the other direction with the the elder that was there when I got hired. Um, he had been there for a few years doing music ministry, youth ministry, associate pastor ministry. Um, the pastor that was there at the time stepped down. Um, pastor Stephen got hired on as the pastor. He is a Calvinist, and so um, he didn't immediately say, we're Calvinists now. He just, he just taught the Bible and taught it faithfully as he All right, saw everyone, it. I'm here. I've come, and Calvin has come with me. It's like, it's like you ever see, uh, 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 oh, goodness, the Doc Holliday, uh, what is it, Tombstone. Tombstone, yeah. I'm coming, and and Hades is coming with me. Uh, yes. Uh, well, okay. So somebody's going to tag that. Somebody's going to say, I, uh, yeah, I compare John Calvin to to. Hades. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. You're good. Uh, so, yeah, he came in, just kind of taught the Bible faithfully. But at the time, we had no official reformed position. I, at the time, wasn't even a Calvinist. When I got hired, I was actually into the Leighton Flowers Soteriology 101 kind of Okay, mindset. we're not allowed to use that name on this program. Oh, we're not allowed to no, use I'm it? just kidding. Oh, is it going to be censored because I mentioned it? <laughs> no, no, no. But if you use his name... He will know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, love to be featured in a Leighton Flowers video. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Trust me, it's he's not gonna, all it's cracked up to be. He's going to have to edit out all of the things I say this morning. I'll say, I'll say something about it, because it just happened to me yesterday. I was driving home, and uh, my phone started blowing up and said, hey, you're on Soteriology 101. And I was like, mm. uh, no, I'm not. I'm in my truck. <laughs> I'm going. I'm headed home, and there and 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 it was a little surreal seeing your face and your name, you know. Yeah. But he was not. He was not ungracious. Uh, I disagree with some of uh, with yeah. most of what he said. But I was thankful that he he said some nice things that mm-hmm. were I think were brotherly. 
Yeah. So I would, I would. No, he uh, seems like a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, uh, you know, if if he does hear this, I hope he hears that that I, I was appreciative of the tone. Yes. Uh, I didn't think it was mean spirited. You know, uh, but but go ahead. You uh, uh, so yes. If we get you mentioned the name, so that's where you were. You were in the you were you were yeah. in the, going in. Uh, yeah. So I was very much into. They didn't yet call themselves provisionalists. It was still traditionalists at the time. Um, so that was kind of my mindset when it came to election and predestination. Um, but he he even asked me. He was like, "Are you a Calvinist?" And I, I was like, I'm, I'm not. And he's like, that's fine. We'll hire you anyways, as long as you believe the gospel and you have good doctrine and have all the other areas. And so got hired on as a youth minister. Um, and then really things didn't start changing into the direction that we're going. I was in 2018 when I got hired. Um, things really started taking off in 2020. But I don't know how far you want me to get into telling that whole part of the story because there's a whole lot of details once 2020 hits well i i I am curious because that that's we're talking now we're getting into pre-covid right before covid did that have a big effect it did um that wasn't the kickoff for us um one of the biggest events that took place in our church in a um a tragic way is we had a a deacon die oh that was one of the biggest um very tragic, young, not expected to be a thing that would happen to our church at all. Um, and so that was one of the biggest transition points because he was the main children's church leader. Mm. So that's going to further on if we, once we get into that part of the story and how that transitioned. Um, we had the question of how are we going to replace this man who was leading in our children's church ministry and was doing a great job at it like what are we going to do how are we going to how are we going to move forward and then covid also shut things down around the same time so Mm. that was a big part of our transition well i I do have two questions to ask uh, because as you're leading through the story two things pop into my mind yes are you guys family integrated now yes okay so did that did you guys become family integrated by necessity or or was it a mixture of necessity and conviction or was it only conviction? So, yeah, um, I'll explain exactly how it happened. So we're having meetings together, staff meeting. We've got um, deacons, people on staff all together, gathered together, say, how are we going to um, bring back children's church? How are we going to make this happen? So there are a whole bunch of ideas were thrown out um, or, or thrown in, I should say. And some of them I was very much against, but I was just the youth minister and I have these, these older men in the faith. I have my pastor there. So I'm just trying to be quiet and just take in everyone's opinion. Um, we had ideas from the youth leading children's church and children's church having an entire um, service on Sunday mornings, meaning they would have their Sunday school class, which then would lead into children's church. And the yeah. youth would be have their Sunday school class, which would lead into children's church. Um, that idea scared me because then they would never be with the adults. They would never, there would be no gathering whatsoever yeah. of the church because Wednesday nights were kind of separated and then Sundays we would be separated. So I'd be like, when exactly are we gathering together? Um, yeah. So I voiced that opinion, uh, just me and the pastor. We talked about it, and he agreed, of course. He was like, yes, we need to have times where we are together. Um, But at the time, we were making an awkward transition um, to where he's like, we'll have children's church. We'll have full-time children's church, but instead of having youth teach it, how about you teach it? 
and he asked me to teach children's church. And so I took that as an opportunity to essentially train the children in what a church service and kind of a, to use the word liturgy, kind of what that would look like, the actual yeah. order of a service. And so we, we sang hymns, we took an offering, I preached a sermon, we had, you know, our version of an invitation, you know, closed with a hymn, we had times of prayer, we made it look exactly like our Sunday morning church service just in children's church so i didn't do games i didn't do a lot of uh, anything like that i just wanted them to get used to sitting singing songs and listening to preaching and being able because i knew eventually they would be back in the church and so i was going to prepare them for it and get them ready to when we went to the family integrated side so that was before we got shut down because of covid once we got shut down we started having um, some one-on-one -on -one conversations, me and the pastor, and he was saying, when we go back to church, how do we want to handle children's church? What do we want to do? Um, because I also am involved in music ministry. Um, I was playing drums at the time. I'm doing a lot more than that now. Um, so he was like, I know you want to get back into doing music. What do we want to do as far as children's church? And I had um, in my desire to grow as a youth minister had started just randomly um, looking up YouTube videos of people and YouTube ministry, people that I trusted. And I came across Vody Bauckham. Mm. <laughs> and I looked The up, gateway <laughs> drug to family integration. Yes. yes. I, I had seen a video of his before where he was essentially talking about how he left youth ministry altogether, stopped doing conferences, stopped doing all of those things. And he himself you know, and his church went completely family integrated. And the first time I saw that video years ago, I ignored it because like, I'm a youth minister. There's a good way to do youth ministry. I'm not going to go that extreme. And then I went back in 2020, watched it again. And I was like, oh, wow, he's just being biblical. Yeah. Like everything he's saying makes perfect sense. And yeah. so I presented that idea uh, to Pastor Stephen. I said, hey, this is what I've been watching. This is what I've been learning from. He also was a great respecter of Vody Bauckham. And he was like, I agree. When we go back, let's just bring the children into the service, but just don't say anything about it at first. Yeah. So that's what we did. We went back and they were just there. Um, and then we slowly started making the process where we were going to become more family integrated. Um, and that before it was official, we kind of stepped away from a lot of big youth events and a lot of youth ministry things. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to do to help with the transition was I started a family discipleship class. Nice. Which was yeah. the idea behind that was not just for us to show up so I could disciple the families, but instead I would help in training parents to be able to do family discipleship at home and to understand why are we going in this direction. So I literally promoted it as if you want to come argue with me, if you're <laughs> mad at me for getting rid of youth group, if you are wondering why we don't have children's church, please come to this class and let's have a discussion and see if we're being biblical in the decisions that we make. Did you have a lot of 
pushback? Did you find yourself? Uh, there was, was was there some arguing? There was a little house? bit, uh, not so much arguing. There were a the people that had any kind of pushback <coughs> were people that saw great results of people being saved from children's ministry and youth ministry. So faithful members, not people that are troublemakers, not people that are busybodies, but people that are like, hey, you know, we've we've seen youth that are in this church that are saved because of these ministries, sure. or um, we've had. I had, you know, one lady specifically was like, I, I'm saved because of youth ministry. Like, I wouldn't be saved because my, ch- my parents were unchurched. And I, like, this is what led me to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was a big discussion of how would we still minister to the youth and the children whose parents are not going to come to a church building. And that's the diffic- most difficult part when you come to the idea of family integration is you kind of lose the just drop your kid off and let them go to youth group if there's not that type of ministry there. Um, but that goes into further things that I've seen other churches do that help with that um, and other ministry areas. At the church I was at before, which did have children's church, we had what was called our LEAF ministry. And if you were a LEAF parent, um, you had a kid essentially that was assigned to you because we had a bus ministry. And they'd go pick up about 50 kids, bring them to the church. And if you know, if you have 50 kids with no parents there on a Sunday morning service just running around, somebody has to be the the adult that wrangles up these kids. And so they, at Ferris Hill Baptist Church, they started what was called their leaf ministry. And so we had trusted members of the church that essentially adopted these kids into their, into their family. So they like, you're going to come sit with us. You're going to hang out with us. You're going to, if we take the Lord's supper and you know, you're able to do that, you're going to take the Lord's supper with us. You're going to do all of those things. Um, But we haven't quite got to that point at Baghdad yet where that's needed. Um, but that is d- definitely something I'm praying and thinking on is what happens when we just have random children that might get dropped off and feel like they don't have a place to go. Yeah. And, and I've had that question in our church. Yes. You know, well, how do you minister to kids whose parents aren't here if you're yes. doing everything through the parent? And we do um, we do a similar. You, you talked about the discipleship class. We do something called Dads and Dudes mm. where I focus primarily on ministry to fathers we do it once a month where the men meet at 6.30 on a Saturday morning and we talk about how's your family worship, how's how's awesome. it been getting the kids to church, <laughs> you know, how's it been sitting with your kids in church? Because, I mean, if you've got, like us, I mean, we've got six kids, you know, two are adults before, you know, 10 and under, you know, it can be hard. And my mm-hmm. wife's like a single mom because I'm not able to help. I'm up on the chancel preaching, you know, I can't be down there. And, and when I say like a single mom, you understand what I mean. She yeah, doesn't no, have... I, I mean, yeah. So thankfully, there are people who will help out, you know, who 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 will wrangle. My dad mm-hmm. and my stepmom, thankfully, are members of the church, so they can help. That's good. But that's what you know. That's what we talk about is we talk about in dads and dudes how to do that. And yeah. and one of the questions that often does come up is what do you do about the kids who don't have parents, you know? And 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 it is you know I like the adoption idea, and that's sort of the that's sort of the language we've used. You know, if you see a child who is. Um, needs attention mm-hmm. then give them that attention if, if there's a child and again it, it's it's i love the idea that you guys chose and i know this isn't at your current church but at the other yes. church you guys chose the um respected trusted people 
yes. to handle this. Yeah, you had to you had to sign up and essentially be approved to be <coughs> a yeah. leaf parent. You couldn't just randomly grab it. Yeah, you don't want to give. Like, you don't want to give. Yeah, <laughs> you could. So uh, who's this guy? We don't know who just adopted fourteen kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, I do want to. Uh, I have another question that came to mind while you were yes. talking, and that because you talk about Stephen, the pastor, as being very willing to be um, um, ch- changed, his, have his mind changed. Mm-hmm. How old is he? He's a couple of years older than I am. Okay. So I, thought he was, I thought he was a younger man. Yes. And I haven't even gotten to the point of our, we also merged with another church. And so mm-hmm. I haven't even gotten to um, the other elder yet. That's another big part of our actual Reformation story. But we'll get to that once we... Uh, yeah. Once we yeah. I want to want to get there. But <laughs> the, uh, the thing that, that was... I and, and I and I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but I've been doing this for a while, and I have I have found that um, a lot of people get set like concrete gets set over yes. time, and people tend to get set in certain ideas, and a younger minister, you know, sometimes will be more willing mm-hmm. to listen to correction. Than an older minister, and again, please, I, I know somebody's going to email me and say, "Well, I'm an older minister, and I'm not unteachable." I'm not saying older ministers are unteachable. Yes, but but I see myself getting older. Mm-hmm. I feel feel myself getting older as you know as age creeps in, and you begin to get very solidified, sort of in this is what I've done, this is what works, this is what I'm going to continue to do. Yep. So when you told me that you went to him with a Vody Bauckham message and you challenged him on family yes. integration he said let's do it I was like this is a young guy yeah. and, I, <laughs> and I will say um, in most of those situations when it comes to our <coughs> ministry Stephen and I have pretty much always lined up even if we haven't had a conversation yet so me being able to come to him and say hey this is what I've been looking on usually 99% of the time means that God's already been working on his heart on those things and he already shares the same convictions Um, very few times if any has it been like you're wrong and he changed his mind because I was right normally he knows exactly the direction we need to go he's got the wisdom to do it in the right timing um, whereas I a lot of times I'm a, like just rush through this let's just run into it um, and I'm being taught that reformation a lot of times is a slow turning of the ship as uh, pastor Austin who is our other elder he has said that many times and used that kind of language that it is it is a slow process to reform a church um, some things feel quick and sudden because if you just get rid of a program and it's just gone well that's that's pretty sudden but overall reformation is a slow lifelong process well I want to hear about Austin in a minute yes. um, but before I just I want to capitalize on something you just said which is a, it's true it's not only a long process, but it's more than just what people think it is. Mm-hmm. Some people think reforming a church is introducing Calvinism and introducing Reformed doctrine, when that may be the least of the of the changes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I've got, thing, I've got things to say about this. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> yeah. ultimately, where someone stands on the doctrines of grace is important. Yes. But it's, it, you know, I don't know about you, but we have people in our church that aren't fully convinced Calvinists. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, you know, we people definitely do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's fine. We, you know, we don't consider them less than or, or you know, outside the kingdom. Yeah. But we all are in mission together to do the, to preach the gospel and teach together. Right. And so that's not, 
you know, th- th- that's not the primary, even though that's what we teach, mm-hmm. this is what we believe, that's not the thing that binds us. The thing that binds us is the gospel. Yeah. And, and so, but you said you had something you wanted. Yeah, I was going to say the biggest part of our Reformation so far has not <coughs> been turning Calvinistic, though, um, and we'll get into this part of it. Um, we are adopting the 1689 confession. So we've been going through a class on Wednesday nights. Um, and we've told members, hey, show up because this is, we're going through this entire confession, going through a study that Chapel Library puts out um, so that we're able to kind of understand this. And we will most likely eventually adopt this. And this will be our confession. But other than that, our Reformation has, hasn't been so much about those soteriology and Calvinism as much as are we doing church biblically? Is the way we're ordering our service, is the way we're doing things on a Sunday or during the week, the, how we're operating as a church? And so I believe, though I, be, I believe in the doctrines of grace, I think a church could reform itself and be biblical in how it does church even if they're not Calvinistic. Sure. Like, I think they should look into the ideas of, you know, are the ways that we're handling our worship and our preaching and the ways we do church, is it just lined up with the Bible before you even get into the idea of how are we saved and as far as, you know, God's sovereignty. Um, So our focus right now has not even really been on Calvinism. It's more been on how you go from being a more traditional Southern Baptist church, which has a certain structure that most Southern Baptist churches in the South have, to transition to be a Reformed Baptist, but still Southern Baptist church. You're totally speaking my language, and the reason why I say that is because we went through a period in 2008, you've probably heard me talk about this on the program, where we went through our time of reformation and what was born out of that was not so much the the reformed doctrines as even though that was part of it mm-hmm. the i wrote a book the biblically functioning church which um i'm gonna give you a copy of by the way don't awesome. let me forget i'm gonna let you take that i have one on my shelf i can give you uh that is um it what it was was an entire year worth of preaching on ecclesiology okay and it was it was my the book is the distillation of those sermons and because you're right. The thing that we recognized we needed to reform was our church ecclesiology, yeah. not – yeah, the doctrines of soteriology, those are important. And, and, and please don't think for a second I'm saying those don't need to be reformed. They do. Yes. But the, the, the thing that, that, that is so vital – that so many people miss is the is how the church functions mm-hmm. and we see in in a lot of southern baptist life and I'm not, I'm not a southern baptist but I did attend a southern baptist seminary so I can say you know I went to Jacksonville Baptist Theological Seminary I feel like I can speak at least somewhat familiarly yes. with this like I'm part of the family even though I'm not in the family I'm yeah. like a distant cousin <laughs> and and I do think a lot of the problem in southern baptist life is the the for lack of a better term, the the ecclesiastical polity, mm. how we do church, and whether it's, we've already talked about youth ministry, mm-hmm. or just the overall structure of who who is the, um, what's the authority in the church? <laughs> is it the deacons? Is it the pastor? Is it the word of God? Yeah. And, and um, how do you guys manage that? Do you all have a constitution? Um, so we are we're in the process of kind of changing and reforming bylaws and um, 
bringing in a covenant and all these different things because we actually, and this is where my dates are going to get kind of hazy, um, but within the last year, um, we have merged with a, another church. Um, this is this is not really my story to tell, but I'll give my side of it. Um, if you ever had uh, Stephen and Austin in here, they could give you the full details of it, and it would be awesome. Um, but we went through a a season in our church where our um, worship pastor at the time. So we had Stephen worship pa- and the, then the worship pastor. And then myself, the worship pastor was forced to resign. And so then it was just me and Stephen. And Stephen had um, really this time where he said he was really close to kind of being like, all right, I think this is the end for me. I think God is bringing this to the end of my ministry. Like things are not going well. Um, and so he was in his um, his house. He's able to, to come at the time, was able to come home. Um, during his lunch break. And so he was there just randomly one day, normally wouldn't be there during that time. And he was just kind of sitting there praying um, and just kind of in a, I guess you could say a depressive state. And he gets a knock on his door and there is a man there that had randomly shown up to the church. Um, His name is Austin. And his church was looking for a building where they could um, meet in, and they also, he's a part of First Love Ministries, which is a, a publishing ministry that sends out reformed um, reformed material, I guess I should say, um, all over the world. And so he was like, we need a place where um, we could meet as a church, and eventually the conversation came where we could store some books. Um, so they joined in, they had a good conversation, and they had a conversation about how his church was reformed. Um, 1689, they were, their church is called Christ Evangel. Um, so they were a small uh, body, and they would meet in our building after our service. So they would meet about, you know, 1 o'clock um, after our church service was over. And so eventually what ended up happening is more and more conversations between Stephen and Austin were happening to where eventually— um, they felt the conviction and eventually shared it with me of let's just merge the churches together and actually have a dual eldership because right now we have two churches with one elder. Let's have something close to an actual multiplicity of elders um, completely on equal ground, like one of them is not the boss of the other, completely equal, um, and actually join those churches together. And it has been a great blessing that it that took place really about close to six months ago now, but the process has been like a year long of us walking through that. Um, So now we've got a whole lot of things going on ministry-wise because um, Pastor Austin was involved in many things, uh, mission trips to Nigeria, um, the Philippines, like multiple different things he was involved in through First Love Ministries. And so... um, those things have now become part of the ministry of FBC Baghdad because now we are all FBC Baghdad. Um, so it's been a very exciting time of of reformation and being able to kind of change how how we are structured. Um, and it is great to have um, more than one elder. Um, as I said before, they are bivocational. Um, Austin works for First Love Ministries, and he is also able, because of that, he's able to be up at the church throughout the week. 
Um, Pastor Stephen has a secular job for the city. He does IT. Um, so he's pretty much gone during the week. Um, now with the dual eldership, Austin is able to be at the church during the week, which is good um, to be able to have somebody there that can you know, show up there, be able to have times of discipleship and do those different things. So they've been able to kind of carry each other's burdens in a way that have been really good. And then, like I said before, I'm kind of the right-hand man to both of them that if they need something from me, they come to me and they they ask for it, and I'm able to kind of help and support them in both of those things. Yeah, you're the mom. Yeah, I am the mom, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I, I'm always curious about structure in other churches. And so, like, we have three elders here. We're all ordained. We're all uh, pastors in the church. Um, but I'm the primary preaching pastor. Is there – how do they do that? Are they are they pulpit, right now, pulpit sharing, or how does that work? Yeah, it is um, – well, like I said, we just finished the book of Ephesians. So since we're kind of still going through a transition period, um, the last chapter of Ephesians, Pastor Austin taught all of it because okay. uh, Stephen wanted to kind of expose the church like, hey, this is this is how he preaches. This is who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has pretty much been um, not broken down percentagely, but if it, it's as 50-50 as it can be. Um, they pretty much not necessarily go back week to week. They might do uh, one person does this series of verses and then the next person will do the other. Um, they kind of plan it out how they want to do it. But there is there's not an official like teaching pastor or elder and yeah. then another elder. They they both um, teach and preach pretty pretty equally. Um, and then we did just start back our Sunday night service. We brought that back. Um, and we have a, a time of preaching and service that leads into our prayer meeting. Um, and right now, Pastor Austin is preaching through the book of Jude on Sunday nights. And so it's pretty equal. I wouldn't say that either one of them is the primary um, teaching or preaching pastor. It's pretty 50-50. Nice, nice. All right. So um, getting back to the, uh, the, 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 the transition, because what you just said was very interesting of how two churches merge, become one church. And in and, and one sense, two churches that only had a single elder, mm-hmm. which is, I would say, a less than optimal uh, situation. Yes. Uh, you know, in my book, I talk about how, you know, you need a plurality of elders. And I do believe the Bible calls for a plurality of elders. I've also, I also say it's better to have no elders than bad elders, <laughs> but that's a, that's another conversation. Um, because they're, they're, you know, bad elders are tough, yeah. but when you get good godly men that come together and work together and have a desire to work together, then you have something special. Yeah. And that sounds like what, what you guys have. And Definitely. so that's, that's, that's wonderful. So, um, the, the merging of the two churches, and this is first Baptist Baghdad. What, what has that, has that seen? How was that received by the members? That, that that's, a, that's a question I have because I mean, people have a, you know, sometimes people have a feeling like this is mine and that's theirs. Have they come together and really, yeah, it has been good, um, and we had a lot of like really long conversations about these things. Um, 
in the form of business meetings, which all SBC churches, they love their business meetings. Oh, yes. So I say that sarcastically. Um, so, oh, yes. God um, bless the business meeting. <laughs> yes. So uh, one of the great things is because they were meeting at the church, um, they also at the time gave Pastor Austin um, office space in Pastor Stephen's office. So he was up at the church kind of helping with our ministry areas already. Um, and we were also having some crossover where we were helping them, um, helping Christ Evangel and helping Austin with the ministries that he was doing as well. We even um, supported them financially to send him, I believe it was to Nigeria, if I'm getting that detail correct. Um, about a year ago now, um, they needed some money for a plane ticket. Our church said, let's do it. And we, we gave to it. So there was, there was an investment in each other's ministries. Um, and a, a love for the members of each church before we ever merged. And so it was kind of presented as, you guys are already doing this. Um, why don't you just actually make it official and really follow through um, with this? And so there were the original fears of, okay, if we adopt this church, if FBC Baghdad takes in Christ Evangel, are we just going to do everything they're doing and kind of give up what we're doing? And so we had to assure them that neither church is giving up their, their ministries, neither church is giving up um, the missions that they have been called to, um, that it's literally a merging together and a working together. Um, and at first, joining together, it felt like two churches, kind of yeah. just meeting together because um, you have members of different churches that are now all sitting together. And um, But over the past few months, we've had a lot of good times of fellowship with these members. And to me, at least, it doesn't feel like two churches anymore. It feels like we are now one church and we are now FBC Baghdad. Um, and we're very excited with the members that we gained through this process. Well, praise the Lord for that. Um, the, so, so Austin's church was already 1689. Yes. But the FPC Baghdad was not, but you guys were already going in the direction we, of reform. Not yet. Um, that actually, so what we have done is on Wednesday nights, we started a class um, called Confessions, Creeds, and Catechisms. And so what we did which is, which i'm sure is super popular in southern baptist life because those three things are usually yes, not all about confessions and creeds and catechisms yeah uh, so we walked through i believe we did creeds first we walked through um like the apostles creed we walked through and it kind of said you know this is what you pretty much have to believe to be a christian yeah. <laughs> like this is your kind of your basic um this is what we believe this is our creed as christians um this is what it means to have a creed and we went through kind of the history of that and taught through those things um and then we went through the baptist faith and message went through the entire thing, taught through it, um, really not to shut it down, but to actually say, this is why we still hold to this. This is why we believe what it says here. We might change some wording here or there, um, but this is why we can hold to the Baptist faith and message. And then we brought in the to teach the 1689 to really show these things don't contradict each other. You are able to be Southern Baptist and adopt the Baptist faith and message and what it, because it's very general. There's not a lot of things that are very specific in the Baptist faith and message. Yeah, um, I know a lot of Calvinistic pastors who would feel like they can still affirm it, yes. especially certain portions of it, which 
can be read in a reformed or yes, non-reformed way. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, we that's kind of how we handled it is we really kind of walked the church through this idea of knowing what the creeds are, knowing what we believe, um, having this idea of um, we actually I think we moved to catechism after that um, when we taught through, I believe it was. Spurgeon, yeah, we did Spurgeon's catechism um, and walked through that and went through all the verses and had some good conversation through that. And then now we're slowly finishing our study through the London Baptist, the second London Baptist Confession, the 1689, because uh, we always get stuck on some conversations. They always come in, and especially Pastor Austin. He'll be like, hey, I'm going to cover three chapters tonight. We'll get like three questions in, and then, yeah. and then a conversation happens for the next hour. Uh, but we're, we're wrapping up that study um, and going through the technical details of how we adopt those things and work on bylaws and all those things that are not really fun that nobody wants to hear about. Sure. They're all all official things that have to happen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And when those things get out of order, they can really be uh, potentially problematic. Yes. Especially as your church grows and people begin to hold on to those things and say, well, this is the way this 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 bylaw says we have to do it this oh, way. Yeah. Or, there's you know. there's a legality to it where yeah. you really have to make sure that you're you're following everything that's official. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with, with that in mind, I, I, I do want to transition to another series of questions, if that's OK, yes, uh, because I feel like I have a pretty good idea of sort of what has what has happened and I'm very thankful for what God has done in, in, in moving your church in this direction and the and the, the the part that I wasn't aware of until just now was that the the merging of the two churches has really brought a new church to life. Yes. And it's you know two churches gave birth to a new even though it's still FPC Baghdad it's a new body. Yes. It's yes. a it's a very it's new. a mixed between two churches have become one and that's that's there's a blessing there we've had we've had a few times where there have been churches that have um that have closed uh like there was presbyterian church that closed nearby and uh several of their members came here and are still here that was over 10 years ago awesome and um they became members here and loved it and we loved them and they were just the sweetest people yeah and even though there was a few the things that we had to get over at the beginning little differences you know obviously there's a little something about water that distinguishes us yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's there, there's a, there's a there, you know but um you know we were able to talk through those things and and work through those things and they became members here and it was and it's been wonderful so w- with that in mind i, I want to begin to sort of ask this question and that is as you are going through the london confession mm-hmm. as you're as you're looking at these more calvinistic things um what are some of the concerns that people are raising in in your classes and things what what because i know what i hear but i, I just want to see if it's similar to the things that i hear when i'm when i'm introducing someone who's never heard of it or someone who's not not convinced about it to the subject of calvinism so where we're at right now um, with the people that will actually show up and have a conversation, um, we're not having a lot of pushback when it comes to really the concept and the category of Calvinism. Um, obviously, we've you know we've taught through the ideas of you know of not only of 
God's sovereignty, but providence and how God even um, uses not only the, the good things, but he uses sinful things. And um, even um, Pastor Stephen likes to mention quite often that even the crucifixion of Jesus was said to be predestined. And the things that, that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Jews, that those things, they carried out what the hand of God wanted them to carry out. They were predestined to do those things. And so he kind of uses that to point to, well, if God can predestine that, then the things that are happening in your life, like, yeah, he's predestining and working those things out too. Even the things that are, um, that would be considered maybe sinful, whether it's on your part or someone else's part. Like God is sovereign and above things in a way that I, my brain can't understand it. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that's one of the, we've kind of been drilling that concept home for a while um, to where there's not a lot of pushback on God's sovereignty, or even if you wanted to say God's control, um, whatever words you wanted to use, I'm comfortable with any of it because, you know, he, he created everything, <laughs> knowing everything that would happen. There's some level of control, no matter what view you take, unless you're an open theist, but I'd, yeah, I'd say open theists are ridiculous, but <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a bridge too far. <laughs> yes. I, I think that I don't throw around the word heresy a lot, just because I think it's too overly used. Every time somebody says something, yes. people disagree with. Oh, that's heresy. Oh, that guy's a heretic. And I and I and and, and I just I'm over that. I, I can't. I can't. I just don't have the 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 patience for that anymore. But the, there is times when the H word. The heresy word mm-hmm. is necessary, and 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 if open theism isn't at least somewhat heretical, yeah, then how would we even define heresy if we can't say that if God doesn't know the future mm-hmm. because the future hasn't happened, and therefore the days fashioned for me were not written no. by Him when I was in the womb. You know, which is what Psalm 139 seems to indicate that, yes. the, that my days were fashioned for me before there was one of them. Um, but if God doesn't know the future, if God doesn't, if God's in time, experiencing time as we do, mm-hmm. and this is my understanding, maybe you could correct me, is that the open theists, what they say, right? God is experiencing time as we do. I would, from what I have seen, um, and this. I want to sound gracious when I say yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I always want to from, be fair. But from what I have been exposed to, whatever definition you give of open theists, it won't be good enough unless you agree with open theism. Um, that's what I have experienced in the uh, forums uh, and the message boards is like whatever you say about their idea of God's knowledge and whether he knows the future or whether he doesn't. Um, I have never seen a Calvinist give a definition that they accepted as even if you read back to them what they said, they still would be like, well, we don't believe that. Um, and they would say the same thing about Calvinism. That's a good that, point. So. <laughs> That's a good point because, you know, we often do, you know, we dismiss our critics by simply saying, well, you just don't understand the yep. position. And it's, yep. it's, it is dismissive to hear people say that to yep. you, um, and especially when they're not being clear. Yeah. You know, well, be clear. Does God know the future or does he don't? <laughs> you know, or, The way I've heard it explained does he not? <laughs> is, and I get that there's this idea of like dynamic omniscience and there's different ideas behind um, nice. 
behind um, open theism, but the the general explanation that I have heard is that God knows everything that is possible to be known. And they would say that a future that has not happened yet, God knowing it is similar to God creating a rock that is too heavy to lift. Um, They see it as being something that's absurd, that of course God knows all things, but the future is not a thing because it doesn't exist because it hasn't. It hasn't happened yet. Um, that's. I think that would be probably the best representation of what I have heard. Yeah, and and say, and I've used that same the the, the same phrase because I've heard it. Yeah. I heard it in a debate with Doctor White mm-hmm. when Doctor White debated an open theist, and I don't remember who it was, but the guy said God knows all things that can be known. Yes, meaning the future because it hasn't happened is unknown because it hasn't happened. Yeah, and again, it goes back to my question of well. Are my days fashioned or not? Does God know when I'm going to die? Yeah. And someone, if somebody says no, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> that that bothers me on a on a on a level of uh, understanding who God is. Yeah, and uh, Doctor James White also points out, I believe it's in Isaiah, um, where he points out the difference between the true God and the false gods. As God is able to declare the end from the beginning. And he's able to actually say, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to speak it, say it, and then it's going to be carried out. It's going to happen. And so that's one of the proofs that he is God, is that he knows the future, both because he knows it and also because he is working all things out and he is he is carrying out his plan. We know that's true, um, but that is one of the things that's different between a false God and the true God is the false gods were not able to say, hey, this is going to happen, even, you know, predicting the birth of Christ, being able to predict the different prophecies that say, hey, this is going to happen in the future. God's able to do that because he is God. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Well, brother, I am, I've really enjoyed this conversation and we're getting to where we're close to the hour mark now. So I want to start drawing to a close, but was there anything else about the story about FBC Baghdad? I know we sort of gone into a little open theism conversation there. I was going to say, yeah, we went in all kinds of different directions. I do that. I tend to spider web off into and, different And that's areas. fine. That's what, that's what's great about having a conversation. <laughs> you know, we didn't come in here with a script. Yeah. I wanted to hear the story about your church. I wanted to hear about the Reformation. I love the story of two churches becoming one. I love the story of the pastors um, working together and being men of God that respect and trust each other. I love you being a mom. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> somebody's gonna somebody's gonna make a meme out of that. Yeah, Zach, the mom. Yeah, uh, but you know, but but helping those men, yes. coming alongside of them, ministering with them. Um, you know that you you know really serving the church, but serving them. Yeah. And so I'm thankful to hear all those things, but. But I know you came here today to share things. I don't want you to feel like you didn't get to share any. So there is one very important thing that if I didn't share, they'd be like, you wasted your time going to Jacksonville. (laughs) Um, And that is we do have a conference coming up. Um, First Love Ministries is putting on a conference being hosted at FBC Baghdad uh, that is on the topic of regeneration and understanding the new birth. Um, It is a free conference. One area that I dropped the ball is I was supposed to bring you a box of books from the First Love Ministries that I did not bring. So I will make sure that those get to you. We've got all kinds of awesome books picked out um, to be able to, to get to you. So I'll make sure we put together that box from First Love. 
And so we've got a conference coming up March 3rd through the 5th, first weekend of March. Um, so we've got a conference on the topic of regeneration. Um, and we've got people flying in from all over the country, both to speak and to attend um, this conference. And we're hoping that we'll have also members or people from the community that will show up to this conference and be exposed to a different idea of regeneration and being born again than maybe they've ever been taught because they haven't heard it from a reformed point of view. Um, so we're hoping it kind of changes some some hearts and some minds and kind of shifts people's theology when it comes to these things um, and just gives us a great time of fellowship and to grow deeper in this knowledge. And so we'll have um, some speaking times, um, times of preaching our main sessions, and we'll also have some breakout sessions as well. And it is free. Um, I'll have to get you the—I know I sent you the flyer. I'll have to send you yeah, the, the yeah. website um, where you can actually just go on and has like five different times where you can click here to register, click here to register. Um, yeah. So you can click, go on there and register, and it is a free conference. And so we're trying to get the place packed out to be able to, to come for that. It's going to be good. Wonderful. And, that, and, and, and uh, conferences are often very expensive. So to hear you guys giving this information away for free and yes. serving the and body. And free resources because yeah. it is a first love ministry um, event. We will also be giving out a lot of free resources, free books. Um, so it's definitely something that um, just members of different churches should come to. Pastors will be there. Um, it'll be a great gathering of mul multiple types of people. Wonderful. Well, yeah, well, definitely, if you're in the Baghdad area, in the Milton area, Pensacola area, and, and you're interested, uh, the website is? <sighs> I will have to send it to <laughs> you. Okay, okay. The <laughs> website will I, be in the description. I was going to say, I know if you Google First Love Ministries, it's one of the ones that pops up, but okay. there's more than one that pops up, so I want to make sure people get the right one. I understand. Um, so. Well, we'll get that We'll get that in the description of the video, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it. I love the idea of the conference. I've been, like I've told you before, I've been out to Milton a few times for conferences, and it's a little bit of a drive from here. You, yeah. you made the drive yeah, today, so, the drive. or, or yeah. yesterday, yesterday, so you know, yep. it's a little bit of a little bit of a hike, but uh, definitely worth it to, uh, to get to be spending some time with God's people and yeah. learning about the Word. Well, Zach, I want to thank you again for being on the program today, yeah. sharing your church, sharing your family, sharing your wife <laughs> and, and daughter here with us uh, and, uh, and coming in and, and spending time with me this morning. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. It was great. And as always, I want to thank you all for being with us uh, today on Conversations with a Calvinist. I want to remind you again that if you are watching this video on YouTube, it really does help us if you can take a moment, hit subscribe and uh, like the video, share, leave a comment. If you're watching this on another or listening to this on another platform like Spotify or something like that, remember you can uh, go in and subscribe to the podcast. We have our podcast hosted through Anchor, which is uh, the Spotify app. Uh, also on all the other apps like Apple, Google, and all of the various podcasting platforms. And remember, you can follow me on Twitter, at Your Calvinist on Twitter. I post new content just about every day, whether it be information from sermons or sometimes funny videos. And we have uh, our YouTube page again is CalvinistPodcast.com. I want to thank you again for listening to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been Your Calvinist. May God bless you.